Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 34, Dusty Ray Simmons. I've known Dusty Ray Simmons, Dusty, as we will heretofore refer to him, since the early 2000s when he was playing in a band called Gravy that played every Wednesday night at Cary Street Cafe with his brother, Jeremy, and... I was working every Wednesday night at Cary Street Cafe, so I saw them every Wednesday night for hours, four hours at a time. They would play like 10 to 2. Really great bunch of guys. I always liked Jeremy and Dusty and would talk to them a lot about music. And we were, we had kind of, I guess we had classic rock in common. I was in a, uh, partic- I was in a sort of a renaissance of appreciating the uh, music of the 70s, like, I guess at that time, I was liking the Allman Brothers again, and uh, and everything sort of associated with that time period, I was having a kind of a quixotic flashback thing of just wanting that era to exist again, and and then those guys were just sort of, that was part of their thing, they liked the Allman Brothers, they liked Frank Zappa, they, we, we crossed on a lot of musical interests and influences, although we were kind of coming at them from different directions. And, uh, but, but I was just, there's just a great bunch of guys. And Dusty, I've been, I've seen him around off and on doing all kinds of different things. He's a busy guy, uh, playing in lots of different bands. He's got this new Talking Heads tribute band that's playing this Thursday at the Camel. That would be Thanksgiving night be this Thursday, and then if you listen to this podcast after Thursday, you can check him out somewhere else, because he'll be doing that. He's also got a James Brown tribute band called The Big Payback. He's played in the Oregon Hill Funk All-Stars. He's been in DJ Williams Project for like 10 years, 9 years maybe. Great drummer, a very versatile drummer, and, and a great personality, and I think, uh, shit, he's even done a bunch of DJing. <clears throat> Did I mention that already? I don't know. But, um, yeah, we had a good time talking. This was one of the longer ones we've had in a while. It was fun. And, uh, yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. It's the, uh, I'm posting this the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And I was, I was just kind of this morning woke up thinking about the, uh, you know, Virginia's own relationship with Native Americans as we know the, Thanksgiving thing comes out of, uh, you know, the North, New England, it's the pilgrims and all that shit, but of course the earliest encounters with Native Americans were around these parts, Jamestown and Williamsburg, and lots of famous stories come out of that, of about, you know, Pocahontas and John Smith, and then later Pocahontas and John Rolfe, and her young Pocahontas marrying John Rolfe, and going off to England where I believe she died of smallpox and uh, I was just reading up on that stuff this morning that uh, there are a lot of people in this in Virginia that are descended of John Rolfe and Pocahontas there are a lot of people who are descended from the crossing of European and Native American uh, ancestry and uh, I have a, a young woman I work with at Restaurant Depot her name's Ashley and I don't know what Ashley's last name is, but Ashley is a descendant of the uh, Rappahannock tribe around here. And I, we figured this out one day when I was just asking her if she was a native 
Virginian, and she thought I was asking if she was Native American, and then you got in all this. And she, so I'm trying to get her on here one time because it'd be really interesting to hear her story as a, you know, somebody who can actually trace her parentage and her ancestry to people who were here before anybody else was here. And I mean, I'm inclined to believe that everybody on this land mass, including Native Americans, immigrated here at one point. Because, uh, you know, that's that seems to be the anthropological and archaeological and mitochondrial evidence. Um, but, you know, this... It's very in, the native culture that existed here before Europeans got here was a pretty unique thing, and they had a, a real particular way of living. And uh, you know, it's it's kind of a drag that they got shoved aside and destroyed, but they're not gone. They're not exterminated, as somebody asserted recently. They're still around. They're still among us. And uh, I hope to get Ashley on here and tell her story a little bit. She's an American girl, and uh, you know, at this time on Thanksgiving, I I feel like just getting a little bit on my, I wouldn't call it a soapbox, but I think it's really important to be reminded from time to time that America has never had distinct identity except for the fact that it is, it, it is all of these things. It is everything. It is, to you know, to really reconcile the identity of America is to include all of the people that were on this landmass first, all the people that were forced to come to this landmass, and all the people that chose to come to this landmass to make money, and that includes a wide range of people. I mean, it, it has always included a wide range of people. It has been, you know, the English, it's been the French, it's been the Spanish, it's been the Dutch, the Irish, the Scottish, the um, Africans, of course, um, than the people that were already here, the native people, and this is—we've all—it's been mixing and mixing and mixing forever and ever. At some point, you know, honkies, English honkies, European honkies, really got to be dominant, and then there's this sort of a culture that has became really dominant that sprung up for a long time. But you know, it's—it's it's never although it may have appeared to be through media apertures like one thing it's never been one thing other than all of these things mixed together and i i for one choose to embrace it i mean it's all human culture i relate to all of it i'm a human <clears throat> all people with that are humans are have cultures have beliefs have practices that are on some level relevant to me i can relate and i don't think it's important to draw genetic lines in connection to things such as art, music, culture, practices, rituals, all of that stuff. I look at it as a big-ass buffet, big-ass Thanksgiving buffet of life that uh, holds a lot of different interests to me. But, you know, the more that I explore it all and the more that the older I get, the more experience I have, it all just kind of takes me in the same direction and uh, I don't see any of it as in conflict, you know, and that's my perspective. And I, I encourage others to see it that way that, you know, this stuff, none of this stuff is oil and water. It all flows together because it all came out of people, you know, and is isolated and spread out as people have gotten over the millennia, 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 millennia that we have existed as modern humans. 
we still all came out of one place at one time. It may look a little different on the outside, but it comes right down to it. We can all relate. And one of the things that we can all relate on is music. And Dusty and I talk about that a lot. You know, music is a language, and it's a language that speaks across cultural lines. It, it, it speaks across to anybody all over the world can listen to fucking rock and roll and get off on it. And that right there, that fact that you don't have to have been born in the Mississippi Delta, you know, or you don't have to have been born in the South of America. You don't have to have been born in America at all for rock and roll to be relevant to you. It gets you on some level. That speaks to me of the things that everybody's got in common. Because there's something earlier than the language that we have gotten ourselves isolated into that we use every day. There's something earlier than that about musical language. And it gets it gets at something. And uh, Dusty is a great purveyor of it. I've been in and out of it myself. I know lots of people are musicians. I've had lots of them on this show, and I think the number one thing that I want to give thanks for today is La Musica. All right, let's get on it. All right, we're rolling. Welcome to Richmond. That's what you just said. Are you from Richmond, Dusty? I am. Born and raised. I was born at um, Chippenham Hospital. Oh, yeah? Where is that? It's Southside. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. It's off... Uh, I don't even know what that's off of. Jank Road or... Yeah. Yeah. Or with the uh, fucking Poite or something <laughs> there, right? I think it's Poite and Jank Road. The Poite Trash Parkway. <laughs> Where, you, uh, where'd you go to high school? Uh, I actually went to high school in St. Louis. I moved there with uh, my family uh 91, I think. I was like... Or I was about to turn 11. Mm-hmm. My dad got the new gig and all that. So I went to high school at Kirkwood High School in Kirkwood, Missouri. How'd you like, how long were you there? I uh, was there for, I think about six years, seven years, because I had done sixth grade here at Swift mm-hmm. Creek Middle, so I did seven, eight, and then, you know, high school, and then we moved back here in 98. So your total, your teenage years were St. Louis, so yeah. that, was, that was the formative <laughs> Yeah, they, they, they were. They were. Can you can you trace something to St. Louis that I uh, you think is it was different than if you had been here? Um, did you get turned on anything there? The blues, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the 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 blues was the was the uh, the biggest thing, and also that was maybe part of the reason why I don't like playing straight up blues all the time anymore. Like, I will, mm-hmm. but it's not my go to. It's kind of a, I mean. I'm gonna adjust this really quick, so if this is adjust. loud, you know. My bad. Yeah, I don't think it'll be loud. I want to look at you in the eyes. Yeah, even <laughs> though you have sunglasses on. Oh, I do. Well, you can keep them on if you want. They actually mean. feel better. <laughs> you need me to lower the shades <laughs> no, here? No, we're good. It, it is a little bright. No, we're good. It's getting a little greenhousey. Though it's, uh, you know, since I'm moving, I got all of this stuff in here, and it kills the sound a little better. It was echoing like a, you know. Like well, inside the, of a tin you got, can. You got the record, so I like that. I do got some vinyl over there. Not, not a whole lot. It's a weird, random assortment. I went through this phase of just buying 70s shit from Plan 9 that was a dollar. Oh, yeah. Majority of that shit. I, every, I, I like, did that. That's how I, you know, you know, other than my dad, you know, passing down his collection. Like, that's what I did. Yeah, so let's talk about the blues a little bit because, you know, I, you and I both respect it. Mm-hmm. 
but I consider it like it's it, it is a really simple format, and it's like it's better, sir. You know, it's better as this template for people like to sort of come into it with this weird outsider like, um, you know, gen- idiot savant genius kind of thing, and have this simple format to be a genius in, instead of just just get it so down that it's just like the same shit over and over again. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think for me, you know. Well, I guess for everybody, really, if you're going to be a musician, is that the blues is sort of, you know, like the the building blocks, mm-hmm. so to speak, of of what you know, like how to how to you know play changes or yeah. you know let a soloist be a soloist, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but at the same time, you know that that that's an on running theme. I mean, marching bands play blueses, you know, right. jazz bands play blueses, rock bands obviously. Well, right, it, like you so, said. It, but I think it, it it becomes to where it's an easy thing to do, mm-hmm. and people, you know, use it to to build themselves. But I, it, for me, it gets old. You like it? I don't listen to just any blues because I'm bored with it. Mm-hmm. But I think that's that's the di- that's the defining line. Is like there's people who can really sell it. Yeah. Who know the blues? Right. And then there's people who just play the blues. Yeah. You know, and I think those are the two sides. Yeah, and I don't. I it's mean, maybe some people would come down on whether it's Caucasian or African American sometimes, and I don't think it's that. I think it's like how, like, I mean, it's a messy music, and and it's not, but supposed to be, but so clean, you know. And when it gets too clean and too, you pretty. know, pretty, yeah, the blues shouldn't be pretty. That doesn't even make sense. Right, right. Nothing about the word blue says pretty to me. Exactly. I mean, except for the sky. Well, it know, is. I know what you mean. But you dig, you know, I mean, that's the thing is there's a raunchiness to it all, you know, or at least there should be. Right. And if you you either got it or you don't, and that's sort of, it's pretty cut and dry when it comes down to it. And so the blues is the basis for jazz and rock and roll. It's not just in those things. It's like kind of where it came from. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, my theory, and I don't know, I've never really had this like proven or borne out by anything, but it's like the combination of African music especially sort of almost like stone age like tribal kind of music coming out of Africa clashing with western european folk music and classical music in america and that's yeah. where you get that you know the syncopation and uh these different melodic progressions yeah but uh, i don't you know i don't know if that's a fact or not but it like well it, yeah of course if that's if that's what you believe then it's yeah. fact to you i mean that's you, you that's the romance around it right it should be and 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 so that's the thing about the blues is it is a romantic music it's got a legend it's like crossroads devil selling your soul you know short live fast die you, you, young you, you, some... your, your fast lady stepped out on you you yeah. know whatever so that's I don't really want to see a bunch of middle-aged guys doing it as a, their second job. It's like playing a fucking boring-ass bar. Right. You know? Yeah. It's bullshit when it's like... Now, if you go r- wander into some roadhouse way out in the middle of nowhere, and that same guy is doing it, and he doesn't give a fuck, and it, it's awesome. But, yeah. you know... Or he... That, that's the thing is, you know, if, if you have to try to mm-hmm. play the blues, then you're not ever going to play it. Right. It's not something that you can just you can use the blues form to play music. Right. But you can't play the blues unless you've lived I it. I think that's a good way of putting it because it's not it's actually a simple 
grammar or vocabulary so that you don't have to learn a whole bunch of shit in order to start talking right you know and so it's really it, if you, it's a, it, the exactly that yeah. is that is the the hypothesis of the whole thing <laughs> right, right there is right. is that you do have the simple formula and it gives you a place to say something mm-hmm. it's all what you say when, right. when you're there and you can't the more you learn the less you have to say the more you're intimidated by other people who have said shit whether it's robert johnson or freddie king or bb king Blind, or willie mctell you, you know, know all, that, yeah. all those people you just start worshiping those guys and and ripping off their shit and you know but i mean i i like listening to bb king i get you know i got this i like the early bb king i'm more of an albert king mm-hmm. guy myself mm-hmm. uh but i respect all that you know so what do you like to play right now that's the thing uh, is as I you know got older and music became my occupation yeah I I got and that is all you do now like for money yeah uh, I work out at different studio I mean basically my all my income revolves around music in mm-hmm. some way whether it's doing commercials or producing or you should pull that mic in front of your face so it's like mine if you're gonna face me okay right. this better that's much better um, yeah uh, I've used it in, in so many different mediums, but you know, I'll do like side jobs, like as work as like a ranch hand, um, over at Montrose studios and stuff like that. Oh yeah. You were talking about that place. It's Did magical. you record out there? Yeah. Well, I, I met them in the beginning of 2012 mm-hmm. and I did like nine or 10 records in that one year there. And then, you know, in, in various capacities, whether that be playing or, producing most of them playing but Mm -hmm. that was yeah playing as a session yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or doing records with the band but different bands that i'm with you know and that is my impression of you i know that the bands that i know of that you've been are gravy Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. that's with your brother jeremy and that you don't guys do anything none of that anymore that's That's, defunct at this point yeah who else was in that those guys uh trey bats uh, right. Jason Campbell, they were the guitar players. Um, right. Jeremy played bass, and I played drums. And that was like the wait a minute, Nate. Nate Griffith joined maybe about a year or so after, and then he played. He was like our our auxiliary guy. He mm-hmm. played keys and sax mm-hmm. and sang and would every once in a while play you know guitar. At that point, we would start switching, and Jason was writing some tunes on the piano. So Jason would come to the piano, and Nate would play guitar, and you know, every once in a while I would get up and do like a lounge tune and mm-hmm. Nate would play drums and I would get up and ham it up, you know, or whatever. I remember that era because that was when I worked Wednesday That's when we really met, shit. you yeah. know, uh-huh. that was like 99 or 98 something. When did you work there? Uh, like, yeah, like 99 to 2001 or, mm-hmm. or something. And that was with the uh, Latham sisters were still working they were, there. Right. They were both. That's oh. how I, well, no, Tammy got me Tammy. Tammy. Oh, Blockberg. I had the biggest crush on Tammy. Who did? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not breathing if you didn't, I guess. Ooh. I remember that, that, that Carrie Street Haddad's party. Uh-huh. <laughs> Out at the uh yeah, I the trailer park. I, I even, ha- I even had my girlfriend where... with me at the time and I was still like you know. She's kind of amazing. Yeah. yeah. She's not around anymore. She's up in Vermont or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's married, maybe kids and stuff like that. But I remember you guys uh I mean it wasn't like I got the, the reason that the block the Latham sisters and Carolyn and Tammy and I and Peter and Dean and most of those people worked there is because we weren't really into that scene. Yeah. And we weren't going to go off on tour or, you know, be distracted 
as much mm-hmm. by the bands that were playing because we were more leaning towards something else like punk rock kind of shit or yeah. in my case metal but in, in a rock, funny you know, way like, that even though the Gary Street's like the hippie spot everybody back in the there. day when I moved to town like all the the rough and tumble cats yeah. hung there you know it was like we you most of you guys worked there and I would play there but on your off nights we would all see each other at the hole in the wall mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. Drinking and the roughest PPRs, dude right? I've ever met in my life, I met there, which is Randy Robinson. You know, oh, yeah, like Devil Tones Randy, mm-hmm. uh, and he was. But you know, there's the trade guys that would come in for uh, happy hour, and they would kind of bleed over into the the jam band kids that show up at night. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? But I, I mean, I start. I really appreciated. You. I liked you guys a lot. Mm. I mean, I ended up Gravy, liking a lot of mean? bands. I got over my prejudices against. I mean, because I like to jam. But mm-hmm. I come at it from a different mm-hmm. thing, nothing formal, more like, you, yeah. know, I, you know, what's going to happen kind of stuff. Not like, oh, we're jamming, but we know when everybody's going to solo and all of that. But you guys, like, there was a Frank Zappa thing going yeah, on. Yeah, there was a like, it was kind of in, in our head because we had different, you know, we do like the skits, you know, like we had the gravy mailbag and the gravy news and we would we would come up with little 30 second jingles like. Oh, shit. My roommate's home. Keep going. You would have all these jingles, you know, and and or <laughs> catastrophe. Um, but it, we were sort of we were uh, we were we were sort of like we're actually not even at his house. We're in some stranger's house. You know, he just got here. <laughs> we just he, broke he, in. He flew in yeah. early. Um, but it was sort of like a live band meets Saturday Night Live. You yeah, know, where there was intelligent music and and sort of skits at the same time so there was a lot of humor and there was a lot of uh zaniness but there was also a lot of extreme talent and and very you know particular parts i don't remember the skits but i remember you guys like playing for four hours right or something like that and really having a like not stopping the whole yeah, yeah having remember. a lot of material and well the skits were like you know, funny things like we would we would do the Almond Brothers tune "Whipping Post," mm-hmm. and at the end there'd always be a drum solo. So we would do things like raffle off the drum solo. <laughs> we would have a yeah, seriously, we would have a raffle thing. People could buy tickets, and then maybe they were like two or three bucks a piece, and you could buy as many as you wanted. And you know, we it, when it, right before the tune, we go into the you know or maybe a song before, so the person could be prepared. We would. You know, pick out who won. The person who won would come up on stage. We would play whipping post, and at the end of it, I would get up, give them the sticks. They would play the drum solo. When they were done, <laughs> I would then grab the sticks, sit back down, and play the end. So it would end correctly. And uh, Nate, the 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 one and only time that 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 this particular incident I'm gonna tell you about happened was Nate. We brought a flat grill and plugged it up, and while the person was playing the drum solo, Nate cooked him breakfast on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> like like fried some bacon and had some eggs and this was towards the end of the set but I tell you what I don't think any more people ever left that show and went to a straight to the Waffle House or the Third or Fourth right. Street Diner because everybody was like oh my god like I'm so hungry now like the whole place is permeated with bacon yeah. and eggs and like and then we you know the next week Robin's like hey you know you you can't do that again. because we're like why she's like well one it's a fire hazard and two it's like health regulations yeah, you can't yeah. just bring in food did the guy eat it fuck yeah he ate, he ate it. it you kidding me <laughs> yeah hell yeah this shit was great it's and like Nate, nate's been cooking thing. eggs forever so he, yeah that's a i heard when i was working in restaurants that like when they had those uh when the hood used to vent out onto the street 
Yeah. If people didn't have any business in their place, the guy would say, "Go put some fucking bacon on the on the flat top," and then people just start coming yeah, in there like yeah. the siren song. Make yeah. sure you have a tap going and some bacon. Yeah. And how how old were you when you were doing that? You, were you even twenty one at that point? No, no. no. Uh, I moved back in ninety eight. I was eight. I basically had my eighteenth birthday in the oct. We moved back in September ninety eight. Then October, I turned eighteen, and I think it was like December twenty something, twenty two or twenty twenty fourth was our first show and uh and we opened uh, i think we opened for schwill because mm-hmm. they had a tuesday night gig and then literally the next because we've been rehearsing we were like we rehearsed five days a week at that point but we only had like seven tunes <laughs> and but and we you know we were open for four hours <laughs> well no no that was later that was later you like remember now this is 98 you came yeah. in 99 we had some right. shit dialed in by then but our first show, we, we opened for Schwill. Then the next Tuesday, I guess they had taken Schwill at some other gig, and they were like, can you guys sub our gig and play the night? Mm-hmm. And we are like, yeah. Jeremy's like, of course we could do that, you know, with seven songs. Mm-hmm. And we stretched it, and we did it. But Robin got miffed that they didn't, you know, okay this with her, and we oh, showed oh, up. Yeah. So they gave – she was like, okay, fine, you're fired, Schwill. Like, canceled them and gave us their Tuesday night gig. Oh really? Yeah, they later came back, back and started on playing Tuesdays on. And no, no, they, one... they they came back and started playing Wednesdays. I thought I remember or, it being you guys Wednesdays, them Tuesdays. We moved. We were Tuesdays oh, okay. in the beginning. That was we started on a Tuesday and then we moved to to Wednesday. But before that happened, I was at that time playing with um, Musa, which at that point was called Flesh Leshman, and I was playing oh, yeah. Mondays with Musa at Carey Street and then Tuesdays with Gravy, and that eventually switched to we moved to Wednesdays and then they. Schwill was like broken up or whatever. And what then is they, the guy's name in Schwill that plays guitar? Uh, well, there's Thomas Coleman, and then there was Thomas. also Alex McCallum. Alex. And and you talked about this the, in, in the podcast with Ricky Tubbs, and his band is called My Darling Fury. Now, yeah, I like And you guys were trying to figure out who that cat was. was. Yeah, yeah, that's my... my yeah, I like Alex them, McCallum. They yeah. kind of blew my mind. I mean, it was different from any. And the singer, the guy who you think has an incredible voice, his name is Danny Reyes. Danny Reyes, okay. And 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 they're, he's bar none one of the best singers that I've ever heard. Yeah. As a natural ability. His style, nobody's doing singing it, singing like him, unless not anymore. Theater, you know, not anymore. I mean, at least it's not 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 a forefront. But yeah, he I think he he rides the line of. Um, like a uh, a theater singer and yeah. uh, just a, a natural singer, you know. Mm-hmm. Like he, there's there's a lot of drama in his just his singing. Yeah, he's very emotive. Exactly. Yeah, and it is they're they're incredible. And it was funny because I was almost sort of in that band, really. Like uh, Gills and Wings had just broken up, and and. He, I guess it was sort of, you know, they, Alex knew he was going to do something with Danny, but they weren't parading it around yet. Mm-hmm. And so we hung and like worked on some ideas, you know, like we did like, we demoed like three songs over at my place. It was just the three of us, you know, like maybe they had already laid some tracks down and I put some drums on it. And then, you know, I was just too busy and they were kind of doing their own thing. And then we, you know, I was like, well, you know, good luck. You know, I know it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. And then a year or so later, you know, there it my is. darling Furies. They're right playing there. it at Tobacco Company this weekend, and that's weird. Know. Yeah, that's what I thought. I like, it's. I saw it on Bands in Town. You know that app? Have you ever used that? No. Yeah, it tells you who's playing, like from national down to club stuff. As long as like people are submitting. I've heard stuff. of it. I just haven't used it. I usually just it's sort of cool. know what I'm gonna do. But where in the hell would they play at the Tobacco Company? 
Like, is there a? Well, there's the, there's two stages. There's the upstairs one where the oh, the normal the there. normal bar. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's been stages upstairs for years. I haven't years. been in that place in 20 years. It's you know, I used to do a regular gig there on Thursdays with um, John Featherston, who huh. works over at uh, what's the uh, uh, the lighting joint? Uh, back, t- not backstage. backstage. Yeah, he backstage. works at backstage. Yeah, he's like a repair guy there. Um, Clint's the only guy I know over there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's that stage upstairs and then downstairs where like the dance club is, there's like a dance floor and lights oh, and all yeah. that. There's another stage. It's very seventies down there. Yeah. That I, might... actually, I played uh, like about a, a, two months ago or whatever with three sheets to the wind there because I sub for Greg whenever they're playing, whenever he's busy or whatever, I'll play drums <laughs> and you know, they call it. I'm like, yeah, where's the gig? And they're like tobacco company. I'm like, Oh, where upstairs and they're like no downstairs and i was like okay so i'd never really been down there and it is like zebra print chairs Ooh. and like italian leather booths and stuff you know that like sounds cool weird carpeting it's it's very cool and creepy at the same time you know so all right going back the reason i, I started on this this track i'm i think of you as and you're already telling this story i mean you've you're a good enough to be a session musician and you know kind of got the chops to like you can just go play with somebody and mm-hmm. like they're like i don't have my drummer tonight and you can just go do that without having right well you, when anything. you get back to but to, to answer the previous the first real question was what kind of music do you like to play yeah. and my answer to that is that since the kind of pays no 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 no, no. <laughs> well you, i mean obviously you got to yeah. make money so there's yeah. sacrifices you'll make at some point but um once it became my job, I was get I would get bored just playing one type of music. So yeah. then I wanted to play with everybody because yeah. I wanted to be able to play any type of gig. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd be like in a jam band playing, a, you know, a tight funk thing with whatever project, jazz, you know, and you know, a country gig. Like I want to be. My thing is that my palate. I I have I have a strong appetite for different types of music that I want to play. If mm-hmm. if obviously if there was a band that went and I could make you know, like crazy money and maybe be able to retire on it. That's the smart play. Mm -hmm. Even if I was doing that, I would still play in other bands playing different genres because I would go crazy. Mm -hmm. Like if I had to play one, if someone was like, you have to pick one band and that's the only music that you could play, I'd go crazy. Yeah. And I wouldn't, you know, I, I would lose the joy that I have in it now. It seems, I mean, I got a limited experience on the drums. Like I taught myself to play, in like I've seen you play drums. You have? Yeah. I can't remember where, but I, you had some band back in the day. Or or I saw you at you like You saw a, me play guitar in the Devil Tones, but I I don't think I've played No, guitar. it wasn't a gig. It was like a party or a jam set. Maybe you might have been at my place at one of my parties or something, but I remember mm-hmm. you played drums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and was way out of practice by then. Oh, well, like, yeah. I mean, we were all hammered anyway. It, it probably sounded like shit. me playing drums. But like the great thing, I the thing that I liked about drums is I was learning how to play it. You know, I could if you could just keep a beat, then you could hang with everybody. You know, just participate on the snare, the hi hat, and the kick, and throw a crash in here and there. Maybe it's that simple. Roll around the tom, and <laughs> start there, and you can just get in the room with people. You don't need to be on key or like you just you got to be able to keep time basically. You got to have good meter. Yes, and a feel and all that kind of shit and whatever. Um, but I, you know, you, you can be. It feels like you can more quickly adapt 
the skills of playing the drums to lots of different kinds of music than you could if you're a guitar player and you play punk rock and you just downstroke and you play bar chords. You're not going to go sit in and play a bunch of you know crazy leads and stuff with some uh, you know or the blues. Yeah. Go, well, like maybe, but not you know. But that's what I'm saying. It's the building blocks. Punk right, rock. Right. Right. Sure. That, I mean, at least the chords and chord progressions and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of guys can't even play, you know, a solo. They don't. Like of any kind, a lead, you know, no right. individual notes can be picked. <laughs> right, no dig. You know, yeah. it's just just strumming, basically. But but the drums, you know, you have more freedom in a way. You got to do more work and you get less glory a lot of times. Oh yeah, but, the payoff you know. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you have the most stuff to carry in. Yeah. You know, but you know, it's the most expensive gear, isn't it? Like it is. Yeah. You you know people you can go buy a three thousand dollar guitar and that's great. You, I can go buy a three thousand dollar drum set. You know, mm-hmm. That's the same thing. But guitar picks are cheap. Guitar strings are like six bucks a pack or something like right. that. Mm-hmm. Even if you play nice ones, let's say, you know, they're eight, which they're not. But drumsticks are like eight bucks a pair. A yeah. drum a drum head a this is a regular snore top bucks. head is fifteen bucks. Yeah. You know, and you have two on every drum. Yeah. And you have to replace those. You Fairly, know. especially as playing as much as you I don't. Are. I, yeah. I, I I leave my drum heads on until yeah. they're black because I think they sound better then. Yeah. So I, you know, I I've had a snare head that's been on there for, you know, eight or nine years, mm-hmm. still on there. Sounds great. Do you ever play? I mean, you're capable of playing. I've I've seen you play some fairly complicated stuff mm-hmm. and some, you know virtuoso air you know area like you could you could do some terry bozio is that his Ooh, name? yeah bozio yeah bozio uh, i don't know that i could do i mean but do you ever fuck around and just play like you gotta you know i never got i mean basic I, I, four four you know just like you know boom tap like oh yeah constantly because yeah. i love hip-hop you know yeah. and i love playing you know I love I love the music that associates with with hip hop. Mm-hmm. I love hip hop, you know, if you're a good MC and stuff like that. But right. I don't love all rappers, you know, or right, whatever right. you want to call them. But I do love most music that surrounds that. So like a lot of times I'm listening to it. Well, whatever, you know, Tribe Called Quest sample a lot of jazz, right, right. and you know, there's that area and Diggable Planets, and then it went to like neo soul, and then you know there was a lot of elements, and the Beasties came in, and that. Well, that they were before but you know they but they came pulling from that weird funk palette from the 70s well yeah, yeah just but i would listen to the stuff and sort of tune out mm-hmm. the lyrics and so i could just hear the music and and so i i today if you were to ask me what my favorite shit to play is it would probably be like really behind the beat hip-hop two and four mm-hmm. but like really flirting with mm-hmm. you know where the two and the four fall you know yeah just behind the beat or the yeah. last possible second to hit yeah. it you know that for me is like my comfort zone and and i don't like i don't really like playing drum solos do you ever like when i when i started playing drums like what i was doing was basically attempting to imitate you know a loop beat you know from a hip-hop mm-hmm. song you know because that's all i knew how to play. it was like a syncopated well there's a reason that works dun, dun, dat, dat, dun, dat, like that kind of thing and I would always reset the beat like it was a loop, you know, like mm-hmm. instead of playing a fill or something like that, this, you know, I don't know if you call it reset the beat, but, you know, you start the next measure. It's called like a turn. Like, well, essentially, it'd be like a turnaround. Turnaround, yeah. Um, but I would do it like it was a loop, you right. know, because that's how how much I've been listening. Right. To that and, and, uh, but I I think that's appropriate, you know, yeah. like I, I like playing. I really like songs. Like, yeah. honestly, if it's a good song, I like the song. I don't need to. I don't have, or sorry, at least I don't have it in my my thought 
process that I'm going to try to find some tricky beat to use to, you know, give myself some own self gratification because I can play this tricky beat over right. top of a, a simple song. I like to serve the tune. Yeah. So it, it yeah. it's like, okay, the, you know, take the Beatles or Tom Petty. It's like, you just play the backbeat. That's yeah. what the song needs. That's what's going to make it a better song. Mm-hmm. So my, my voyage or my goal is no matter who I'm playing with is just to serve the tune, make it a better song by just supporting the role. Like I don't like playing drum solos. Like I see why they're cool and why Mm -hmm. people like them and I can play one and sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not, but I don't go, Oh man, you know, I I really need a drum solo on this tune. And I never go, Hey hey guys, let me play a drum solo. Like that's, you know, I don't, it doesn't serve the tune for me. I'm just sort of like, you know, even in like in my jazz group, uh, this jazz funk group, the Root Downs, you know, we'll be playing a tune and, you know, maybe it's an original, maybe it's a cover. And then, you know, it'll be like organ solo, guitar solo, sax solo. And then, you know, the guitar player be like, you want one? I'm like, no, mm-hmm. like, that's in the tune. Yeah. It sounded great. You guys were beautiful. We don't need, I don't need to disrupt the flow. Yeah. Know? And it's, it. It's very like you call it tasteful drumming, mm-hmm. you know, knowing when not to play and all that kind of stuff. That's and, in any instrument, knowing when not to play. Yeah, that's half the battle, really. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, leave, letting the space be there and and all of that. And it's it's funny. I mean, I was thinking about this earlier because I was listening to Mastodon, and I think oh drummer, yeah, I love those cats. One of the busiest drummers, Bron Daler, is. is the yeah. man. We hung a bunch when I was out with Lamb. Yeah. Um, in the early years and did you go out as a drum tech for them or yeah i was um their drum tech and modern engineer for like six so years something like that lamb, well actually my lamb fir- would be short for lamb of god people yeah. yeah um the lamb uh but actually the first tour that's funny how i got that gig too um yeah, tell that story. uh but uh my first tour with them i was the drum tech in the front of house engineer and you know, at the end of that, so I, you're I doing their whole sound from the yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I got the gear. All right, so let's rewind. You know, move back in '98. You know, start playing music with some cats. I got a job. Old. I'm 18 years old. Yeah. I get a job at Boykin's Music when it was right. still like a real music store, not that bullshit music and arts. You know, right. mom and pop. You can you buy know, a cello there and shit. It's bullshit. Right. It sucks. But I loved. You know, John Hammond still works there, and and Russell Marsh and those mm-hmm. guys are the the greatest. And so. You could still go, you know, and get something you don't need, but hang out with them. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I'm hanging out there, and at that time, you know, the, all, all the Lamb of God guys were coming in, like you know, Mark Morton and Campbell and Willie were getting their strings there because they, you know, they rehearsed over in Jackson Ward, that little area. The it's all Summit Road, like behind. Oh yeah, uh, Scott's Edition. Scott's right? Edition, yeah. yeah. They they were rehearsing there, so they would always come in, and then the guys from. Uh, RPG, no, well the RPG cats, but that was later. But the uh, like Sword. Justin Burdick, Gwomper from oh, Avail, Avail. Uh-huh. all those cats would come in. So I would like sell them their guitar strings at our cost. Mm-hmm. So normally <laughs> a pack of bass strings would be like eighteen bucks or whatever, mm-hmm. and they, I would sell it to them for, you know, Eight. whatever. What I would look yeah. it up, you know. So those guys would come in and like stock up for tour. Mm-hmm. Go like, oh, I need a case of strings. I need this. I need that. And I would just like hook them up and they knew they were getting super hooked up and they were cool but one day chris walks in you know and uh he was there with his i loved when chris came in because his wife julie mm-hmm. uh adler is so beautiful and i would just like stare at her and like you know chris was <laughs> he was just looking at symbols but that was like the highlight of the day no honestly seriously and i loved him dearly i lived with him for like a year or so but um uh he would come in so one day he, chris walks in and goes hey man do you um 
do you want to come on tour with us and be our front of house guy? And I was like, what? He's like, yeah. And I was like, well, when's the tour? He's like, it's three days. We leave in three days. And I was like, man, I, I don't know. I, I was like, that sounds fun, but let me ask my manager. So I went and talked to John and I was like, hey, can I do this tour? Yada, yada. And he's like, yeah, it's, it's all. I was like, it's six weeks. He's like, that's fine. I was like, I'm still going to have a, a job when I get back. He's like, yeah, it's all good. So I go out on this tour. You know, a week into the tour, Boykin's music gets bought out by Music and Arts Center. Oh, wow. Everyone gets canned. Oh, wow. And it turns into things. So it was, you know, I should have left anyway. It was sort of like that time. Um, but yeah, and so I, I went out on the road, you know, with them. And that's not, I mean, did you list, listen to that kind of no, stuff? No, not at all. Like, I, it, it, my my pedigree in metal at that point was like, Jeremy had, my brother Jeremy had like uh, Iron Maiden posters on his wall. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I knew who Slayer was. I knew, mm-hmm. obviously, Metallica. I loved Metallica mm-hmm. when I was like, you know, nine years old. Like, I think Inner Sandman came out then. And I, you, my brother's band played my ninth birthday party. But you only have one bass drum and one pedal on it. On what? On your kick drum. Oh, only have, yeah, oh yeah. What you know, Chris only has one pedal on his kick drum, but he just plays two of them. That's what I'm saying. You yeah. only have one bass drum, and yeah. Only one pedal, right? Right. But I'm saying I didn't even play metal at that point. I, I knew what it was. Like I knew who Slayer was, but I never right. listened to him. But you're doing their sound. I was the first tour I did front of house, and I did you know I was drum teching. But I went up to Chris, you know, like towards the end of that tour, I was like, Yo, man, I was like, This doesn't make sense. I can't be two places at once. Right. I can't walk through a thousand people and fix your drums if they fuck up in the middle of the show. Right, and I'm right. not, you know? So I was like, why don't I do monitors and I'll be on stage and I can do both. And so that's yeah. what that, you know, I ended up doing that for, but you didn't find, I mean, besides that challenge of trying to go back and forth, like to stand out there at the board and mix them, mm-hmm. like when that's not a music you listen to, and that's a pretty specific kind of metal. That's like, I would, I, I'm sort of a, a very simple engineer. I, I think I'm a, I think I'm a good engineer because mm-hmm. I think it sounds good when I do it, right? right. But I, that may not be the case. You know, people may not think that. But I'm just about clarity mm-hmm. and 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 punch when you need it. So if I can get the bass and the kick really dialed in to punch when I need it to, so I can ride that. Mm-hmm. As long as everything else is clear in the mix, you know, those when you get to those kinds of musicians, they know exactly what their sound's so supposed right. to be. It's not my job to change their shit. It's like right. my kit. Far far too few uh, guys realize that that are out there yeah. doing. People know what they want to sound like, you know. Mm-hmm. It takes. I mean, there's so often that that guy is a member of the band that's out there on the board, right? I mean, they tour with him. He's he knows what they're supposed to sound like, and and he's into it. Yeah. Right? Well, I'd say now. I mean, on the level that they're at now, I mean, they have a really great engineer named mm-hmm. Brian Griffin, who actually I trained as a monitor engineer when I left on my exit. He was on with us, and I was sort of training him. But he, you know, he knew what he was doing, and now he does front of house, and they've never sounded better. Yeah. But he's, I, he's a purist in that way too. He's, I saw them at uh, the fucking Target Center in Minneapolis open up for Metallica. Oh yeah. Yeah, like three years ago or mm-hmm. something like that. It was pretty wild to see those guys in that context. You know? I didn't see any of that tour. Yeah. But I remember talking to Mark the day that, or the day after they got, you know, they were doing the thing, and I was like, "Yo, what's happening?" He's like. We're going out with Metallica. And I was like, no shit. Because I remember the day that we met those cats. We were playing, I think it was the Roseland Ballroom in New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were backstage. And it was me and Mark and their publicist, Maria. And Kurt Hammett and uh, Robert Trujillo had come to the show just to mm-hmm. watch. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, this, 
obviously the early years of playing the Ro- the Rosalind. So they came and they were backstage and we're like hanging in this room and it was me, Mark, Maria, and Kurt and Maria sparks up a doobie and we start, you know, going around in circles and like I hit it, Mark hits it and we offer it to Kurt and he's like, No, no. Go around again, offer it to Kurt, no, no. And then and then he, by the third time he was like, you know, I told my wife I wasn't, you know, because that was his excuse. The first time he's like, I told my wife I wasn't going to smoke pot anymore. And we're like, oh, yeah, I can understand. That's all good. By the third time around, he's like, fuck it. Let me hit that thing. So my first time, I meet, I meet Kurt Hammett and, you know, and you we're, smoking pressure it. we're, him we're smoking a doobie weed. within the first four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> he's a really, really nice guy, though. I mean, like, I'm sure if you've seen any of those movies, like, you can tell, like, he's the nice guy yeah, of the group. Like, like, really nice and sweet. Well, he's a little dude. You can't expect him to have yeah. some super deep voice. I mean, the dude weighs probably 110 pounds, you know? It's mm-hmm. like he's I've never seen those guys up close. So. Really short. Yeah. Very, yeah. But then I'm tall, so... If, well, you're, yeah, you are taller than average. You're taller than me, yeah. I think. Uh, I? I'm 6'4". You're taller than me. I'm 6'3". Really? You just yeah. seem taller. You're than taller than average. You're like kind of an ogre. Yes, but six I, four is the ogre mark, isn't it? I think so. But I also <laughs> have the the weight of an ogre, like the girth of a. Ogre, oh yeah. You know? And the punch of a heavyweight boxer. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't. We don't female that. class heavyweight. <laughs> I don't go around punching people, man. No, I'm, no. I'm a lover, not a, not a fighter, that. and all that. You so. Maybe this would be easier if you. I know. I know of you in Oregon Hill Funk All Stars mm-hmm. and DJ Williams Project, right? Mm-hmm. Are you a perm like a permanent member of that band or do you? Which one? DJ Williams. Yeah, I've been yeah, there since the beginning. The actual band started. DJ was doing um, Tuesday nights at uh, at Cafe Diem, mm-hmm. and it was sort of a solo thing. And then he brought. And that was also Oregon Hill Funk All Stars played there a lot, right? No, we played. Uh, Man, we played all over, but we'll get to that. Okay. Um, so the 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 project started with, where DJ was playing solo, and he had Gordon doing it with him. So it was like a duo. And at that time, on Monday nights, I was at that point playing with the Devil's Workshop Big Band, um, which is you know that was th- those were the, the days because the original drummer was Robbie Sinclair, but when he moved to New York, I l- luckily was asked to uh, play in that group, and probably still to this day one of the best bands I've ever been involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so DJ would come out and he was a sort of a known fixture for like sitting in with bands, you know, and then he came, he was like, Hey, do you want to come and, and sit in one night? And I was like, yeah, cool, blah, blah. blah. And you know, we played and then different weeks he'd have different people. And then it became like, Hey, do you want to do this permanently? And it was me on drums, DJ on guitar, Gordon on sax and who became our first keyboard player, Brian Monty, he was playing bass. And then Brian Monty went to keys and my brother Jeremy came and played bass for about a half a year or so, maybe more. I'm not, not really sure. And then, uh, and then Todd Harrington came in and infinitely became, you know, the 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 bass per player. Mm-hmm. And so it was us five. Maybe a year after the first record, Mark Ingraham, who was in the Oregon Hill, who's still in the Oregon Hill Funk All Stars, joined, and then that the six of us became like that was the DJ Williams project till up until about. 2005 or six so maybe no 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 about eight so that band's Two, been how long ten, we just had our 10 year anniversary wow. last june so uh but now joey chuchi plays keys and the band still remains and then yeah oregon hill funk all-stars that's fuck that's what was that was like early 2000s that yeah that yeah. was the second i was so i had gravy and then i I joined, I joined, yeah, I guess Oregon Hill was sort of together and then defunct, but it was never a serious band. They just played some shows and then I joined them. But we used to play in the basement of Europa 
and we oh, played. Yeah. We also played. And you DJed down there too, right? I DJed there a bit, but not as much. Like I, I used to DJ a ton at Cha Cha's and Lucky Buddha and Deluxe. Okay. But um, the basement of Europa, and then it's been so many places. I don't even know what it's called now. But the bar that's at the end of the corner. It was used to be Empire and stuff like that. It's at the end where Hole in the Wall used to be at that corner. Of Laurel oh, uh-huh. and it's Empire now but it used to be the metro and rockets rockets and, and so oregon hill played there yeah and i remember the first time we played there we, we just like when it was in the front of there up near the door yeah, yeah we had to load in from the door off of broad street in the place like it was like right after some event and people knew we were coming or maybe they didn't the place is packed mm-hmm. so we have to like people have to push back and scrunch in just so we can set up our gear and i remember that like they had this wooden rail that sort of went halfway down the wall, basically made a U-shape behind the entire stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were like, what do you guys need? And I was like, I need you to fill up these rails with PBRs for us. <laughs> Wait a minute, is this, are we talking about Laurel? Yeah, you, you said right Laurel next to the wall, but I'm pic- picturing Republic, like how they have that kind of weird frame around there. But No, I'm talking, you know, you know yeah, 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 Empire. Empire. So they so had it's like, some wooden frame. like No, 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 it was like, you know, like a ledge along the oh. wall where you could set your beer. Oh, okay. But Fill they went around and we're like, line them up with mm-hmm. PBRs, you know. Because so. you're never going to get to that bar again. The way the no, that's what I'm saying. We, I was like, I'm like, we'll never get to you if you want us to start playing, which yeah. it's almost 11. You know, yeah. it was like, Fill these with PBRs and we'll be straight and we'll settle later. You know. And that, who all? That was Gordon. That's, yeah, it was Gordon Jones. Yeah. Uh, Josh Bowden played bass. Mark Ingram played trumpet. Toby Whitaker played trombone. Steve Tiny Presley played baritone. Uh, I don't want to leave anyone out. Um, Taylor Barnett uh, played trumpet. Um, Nate Brown played keys. Jeff X played percussion, and Jason Campbell from Gravy played guitar. And that's rotated a bit with different horn mm-hmm. configurations through the years. So, but that that band's just wild, you know. Even, was it covers or? Like, yeah. Well, yeah. no. We actually, it's about fifty-fifty. We kind of have, we have some originals, but we don't really. I don't. I can't. Still do it sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Actually, we're gonna be at the Camel the night after Thanksgiving. So the 29th, is that? Uh-huh. Yeah, we'll be yeah, there. I'll probably put this up the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Cool. Yeah. The um. So yeah, the 29th is going to be my trip. My James Brown tribute band, the Big Payback, will mm-hmm. be there. It's us and in, in Oregon Hill Funk All Stars. I'm not sure what the order is, but we'll be there. And then actually, the night before at uh, the Camel is um, my Talking Heads tribute band, Fear of Music, which wow. is the newest thing. I don't even know if you know about that. I didn't. So that's that band's. I've got a little bit of bl- uh, Facebook blindness, a, a Facebook event blindness. Oh you know, yeah, I don't even. I don't, I don't look at those. You yeah. don't even like. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I do. I guess if I don't know anything is going on and it's the day of, I look at it. But like, as far as every now and then, you look at the calendar and I don't really. Events. I'm not. I want you to give me your phone number. Um, I'm not going to do it on the podcast. No, no. Well, I can always blank it out. I did that with Brocky, but um, yeah, I want to. I want you to text me now if you can remember to do I that. I don't even know plans. if I have your number, but you I know. can. I can show you. And I'll type it out for you here. Oh wait. <laughs> this that. is that's, really riveting. Yeah, uh, that's my phone number. Okay, all right, got it. Um, so where well, were let's we? Let's do this when we're we're finished. Man. Right. Um, so fear music. <laughs> that's the newest thing. Mm-hmm. And talking history. And that band's great. It's so you know Nate Griffith from mm-hmm. Gravy. Yeah. He's David. So he's Byrne. still around. Oh yeah, he's my neighbor. He lives like four doors away, oh, and he has a, um, a long time. He has a uh, a, f- a film sort of company called Porter Street Pictures and he's doing amazing documentaries oh, cool. and filming a lot of stuff. He's a good photographer but he's really good at capturing like 
you know, videoing. He, mm-hmm. He's, you know, he's been working on that for a few years. So, but anyway, so Nate is David Byrne plays guitar, does that role. His wife Chrissy, who works at the Bamboo, a bar favorite around Richmond, mm-hmm. but she is the bass player. So she's Tina. Um, Derek Harwell, who works at Carey Street Cafe, he's got the beard. Mm-hmm. He's the other guitar player. Uh, I'm on drums. Keith Cable plays percussion, and Bob Miller from Biorhythmo plays keys. Oh wow! I bet that would be really cool. Like you know, the original kind of Talking Heads before they became the huge like stop making sense level in mm-hmm. the '80s of Talking. Well, heads. I mean, that like... that's you know that, that, that's a probably one of the best musical DVD movies that it is ever great. made. Yeah. But we do all that stuff. I mean, all the hits, a bunch of B-sides. Like I'd like to see it in a club like that, you know? Like to see it's it a good, that, that Man, it's, it's blowing up crazy. Yeah. Like really fast. It was kind of, it's the same, it's sort of the same way that, that happened with the big payback. You know, that we'd rehearsed, we started rehearsing in like maybe November of 05 and rehearsed, you know, pretty religiously every Sunday for a year. And we played our first show in 2006 of October. And it, people were talking. I would hear people talking about, oh, man, this band, the big payback, amazing. We haven't even played a show yet. <laughs> you know? And, but that's Richmond for you. Like, yeah. people just, they want to be in. And that's a good thing. It's like, you're big before you, they, people have even heard you. That's a good sign. And the, That's I, unusual. It kind of yeah. happened with, with the Fear of Music thing, you know? I mean, it, all those players have, you know, they're fans from other bands. So when you... When you look at a lineup of people that, and you know everyone in the lineup, and you know where their branches go out to, you you sort of know if it's going to be a quality product or not, and people get excited about that. And that's a, I mean that that's the good thing f- that I got out of working at Carey Street is because I came back from living in New York City like jaded asshole about music, right. you know, like I had gotten indoctrinated into a very specific set of criteria about like what was cool. You know, and it's really the most ridiculous, esoteric, ephemeral bullshit. It's mm-hmm. really about, I think, ultimately about a certain people's egos. You know, that's where that shit comes from, like that attitude. But I bought into it, you know, and I got pretty, like, into a small little pocket. And I kind of eschewed what was essentially jam band yeah. stuff and right. and everything else, like, that was around that. You know, like I've done, and, I, yeah, I get, I get in those areas, you know, like where I don't, you know, listen to that, any of that type of music. It just, you know, I, I think that's, it, well, it's, I got opened up to realizing that you and, and Jeremy and like all those guys, you guys are, are dudes that I really related to. We got to be friends in that context there. And I got to see your band like week after week after week and, and gradually go like, why am I like, who, what, who, what cool police are like looking over my shoulder just telling me I can't enjoy bands at Cary Street right. Cafe and like, and you're, I mean, you're part of this network of like musicians that are all like, just kind of like, Hey, wh- whatever's fun and cool. And like, we like, we're going to do it, mm-hmm. you know? And I was sort of part of the, um, we're not going to do anything unless it passes a whole bunch of fucking like checklists of, mm-hmm. you know, like what's cool. Of, and of cool. hip authentic- authenticity. Yeah. Or whatever. I, I don't know how I got, like, I mean, that's my favorite thing about getting old is that that just seems so ludicrous. Right. To me now, well, you know, you, know, like, you, well, it, basically, in my opinion, the music lovers, whether they be musician or just a fan or whatever, should be thankful for living in Richmond because the 
the musicianship that we have here on every level is is huge. It's incredible. Like we can, in my opinion, we can we can stand up against New York City as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. We may not have that many people. We're not, you know, we don't shove a billion you have people. Concentration, in. but then you don't have the competition. We have, the, but we have the talent. Yeah. Period. Bar none. I could yeah. I could give you every genre and tell you how we're sitting at the top of the heap, regardless mm-hmm. of what charts say or what record right. sales say, and I, I'll stand behind it. And you know if. If I if that sounds conceited or cocky, that's because it is, and I think Richmond's the shit, and and the talent pool that we have here is it can stand up next to anybody, anytime, any place. Mm-hmm. As far as this this decade goes, you know, or as far you know, since I've been back in '98, because back in the day we we like owned the prog metal scene back mm-hmm. in the early you know early '90s or whatever, and that you know there's some other history that came from you know Richmond. We don't have to go down that path right now, but. When when I came back in '98, it was like everything was on the rise, and I luckily knew Nate already because him and Jeremy had their first band in high school. I've known Nate since I was five, mm-hmm. you know, or six or something. And I came back. Nate was you know the top two jazz guitar players in Richmond, so I I, I all just slid right in. Luckily to knowing all the jazz guys, and then everyone just built this network. And the cool thing about Richmond is that like when you're saying I can go out and see all these bands, it's like it's because people care. Yeah, musicians give a shit if they yeah. sound good or not. I mean, obviously there's gonna be some kids or some bands out there that they just want to play and it's fun and it's great. But I mean, I like that shit too. You know, like remember the Dirty Fingers, the fucking oh, yeah. Tony. I mean, those guys were like on some level horrible. You know, and they right. threw glasses, you know, off the stage and shit. But like that's awesome. But that's the show. Too, you know? But that's what I'm. And, that's the show. They yeah. at least, you know, they. They put their effort into it. People, you know, I think that people really respect their craft. Mm-hmm. Whether you're, you know, an artist of any sort, you know, whether you're painting or sculpting or, you know, acting or you know, doing theater or playing music or whatever. I mean, I think that we're, you know, we're a cutting edge city, and the the talent that we have here, people actually care. Yeah. You know, like you're gonna go see a band who wants to sound well, good. And and the thing that I think is, it, it's occurring to me that as like. One of the big things that makes uh, any kind of industry scene doggy dog is the competition and then like how much you got to pay to live there. You know, like if you're in New York or L.A. or whatever, there's tons of other people who want to be doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And there's and you're fighting for these jobs just so you can keep your head above water. Right. And here nobody's really got any are not competing with each other for anything like mm-hmm. they're just like, yeah, there's plenty of room. There's plenty of like, you know, we can all like survive and and pay our bills and stuff like that and i'm glad that people don't know in general that richmond is as good as or better oh yeah a lot of well, other places because it, then we'd have some tourist well Beale that, Street that's bullshit that, that's on its on way or, that's on its way believe me you know yeah i mean it can't it will happen because we're on the like i've said this before we're in the middle of the east coast on 95 and we're in an urban area and people are going to you know they're going to just come back here you know and they're not going to be richmond people there's going to be people from other places that have gotten too crowded and they they're going to they're going to immigrate yeah migrate rather migrate immigrate whatever but but you know the things that we've we've felt like we need to make excuses or say hey you guys don't understand we're we're awesome you know like we're underdogs or something like that and now as time wears on it's like thank god we have kept that almost invisible Cloak, you know, yeah, yeah. Cloak we we got the we, we got the we went to Hogwarts and got the the yeah. hip cloak. Yeah, we're Somebody, hip, but no one can see it. And right, that's, and that's probably what makes it as hip as it is. M- much, you know, besides the musicians, is the the 
people of the city love music. They love mm-hmm. arts. They love to come and support it. And you know, obviously, we we wouldn't be doing what there we're doing without people. There are people that argue with you though, but you know, that are playing Everyone stuff argues. that's harder. Right? I mean. People that are, I mean, lately, I think, since I've been back from Minnesota, which is less than a year now, it'll be a year next month, I've definitely seen, like, that I can go to the Camel and see these bands, and there are lots of people there, and I don't know who, I don't know any of them. Mm-hmm. And, and like, there's, there's a new influx of people that are supporting music, and it's getting to have that, like, sort of, you can go out any night and see bands, and there are people there. But you mm-hmm. know, as, like, I mean, you've been in those bands, and you've been, and you've played at those places that people will go and just trust that there's something cool going on yep. and they're not even necessarily there to see the band and they'll pay to cover. Right. And you've always been in that scene, mm-hmm. but like there's this other area outside of that where, you know, like the kind of bands I was in and shit, like you play to an empty room on a Wednesday night. Right. And there aren't oh, I played there. some empty rooms. <laughs> yeah. Believe me, you know, I'm definitely, that's, you know, but yeah, that's, I mean, you what, picked a very, but uh, in 98, you know, that wasn't the scene, you know, yeah. it's like, it's really, it really started taking off in like right at 2000, like, bands started quality sorry let me quality bands started coming out mm-hmm. and and more venues sort of started opening up and i think over the years you know over those formative early 2000s richmond as a government or as a the, the commonwealth rather took the arts and, and said okay this is us this is our stamp this is our seal is we are an art city I mean, now you see all those funded art programs like the the, the art. I don't even know the 160. I can't remember what they R180. call it. Art 180. Art 180. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. You know, and, and and you've seen how they just transform the city in this beautiful. You know, it's like it's one of those. It's it's the inevitable. You can't fight it. They try to fight it, and it, it we we you know we shove it down their throats more and more and more, mm-hmm. and then to the point to where they have to submit and, and accept it. And when you accept it, and once they accept it, they realize that oh, this is really beautiful. This there, is a great I think thing. also that the city government for instance has been infiltrated by some people that are down with that shit like yep. you know like john belisles is on city council now and he's one of the people that organized that rva street mm-hmm. art festival um i think there's a general i don't know what it is exactly but there's a there's a, a there are other there are people who have said we're going to stop standing outside of the infrastructure and the government and all of that and just bitch about it but we're going to mm-hmm. get in there and then support the things that we want to have happening and yeah. get organized and maybe that's a maturity thing i mean it's not like dwight jones is recognized that we've got all these great it, i mean it's some other but it is organized i mean it's people there's a lot of um i mean i was sort of tangentially aware of how the g4 thing g40 or g4 thing went yeah. on and the street art festival in 180 because my friend john's done done some like logos and things like oh, that cool. for them and I mean, it's just, it is really great to see all this movement going on. It's really positive. Right. It's I don't slow, know if it's it, been a slow transformation, but I, I, yeah, I call it a transformation because most, most people see Richmond as what it was, you know, maybe 10 years ago. And I, you know, it basically, to me, it always was this place. Mm-hmm. It, the art right. was always here and it was ignored. It was, well, it was, uh, it was applauded for a while and then it was ignored because it didn't seem to certain people that it gave us credibility one or, or it helped sustain us in any sort of way as a community. Mm-hmm. And then it's obvious to, to most people that this is what we are and now it's accepted and appreciated and funded and people use it to, to bring communities together. And that's like the glue. Yeah. You know, we, I, I call Richmond the, 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 the biggest, smallest city, yeah. you know, we're mm-hmm. really big, small city, you know, yeah. and yeah. and that you know, and and it's good because you know if you don't have 
something then it just it becomes like a weird stagnant town mm-hmm. like the biggest thing for us to go do would be like go to a squirrels game mm-hmm. like come on it's got what what it, what i feel as i come back here is this that like there's a heart to it mm-hmm. you know for lack of a better word there's a and i've i've gone to new york and come back and, and california like the la area and come back and then twin cities and come back mm-hmm. and there's a, a way that people are generally kind of in this I, i'm going to use the word loving oh yeah towards we're, we're for lovers right yeah that's right embrace that that's shit. right virginia's for lovers mm-hmm. there is something even when people are kind of being gripey about each other there's a general sense of acceptance that we are all still the, a part of this town mm-hmm. you know oh for sure yeah no matter how much i mean because people will shun motherfuckers in other oh, places yeah. i've seen and like you can be pretty big fuck up here and still get love you yeah. know yeah and, right <laughs> i yeah, should know <laughs> uh, yeah right, yeah right we both yeah but uh yeah i see your point it's good it's i mean that that to me is is sort of you know the the biggest reward for living mm-hmm. here. Yeah, like there's no uh, some of that world weary poser attitude comes from being jaded because there's a glut of like say you're in New York there's a glut of people who think they're talented or might be talented or just have big egos and want to be somebody and they all jam up someplace and they get all bitter and pissed off and like everybody hates everything and nobody can let any. I mean I worked for a record label people already hated records as played out before they were even street date mm-hmm. you know for the rest of the goddamn country yeah you know they'd gotten the promos 30 days earlier and it was already over like mm-hmm. and what's the next thing and i you know there's no i mean for a while that attitude was sort of around here but there's no reason for it because there really isn't any competition there isn't any well that's you know, you know that's i'm glad you said that because there are some bands out there that and and for the most part we all know each other and we all get along and we all respect each other and that's the way it should be. It, but there are some people, you know, bands out there that I won't name that definitely look at it as a competition and they're, and they're, you know, you know, they're negative. Like if you go up there and kill it, you know, they're mm-hmm. going to be like, you know, fuck that band. Like mm-hmm. they, they fucking suck. And it's like, no dude, they don't fucking suck. You're just pissed because they stole your crowd. Yeah. So, but there's if, enough, if, if there's anybody who can take anything from what we're talking about on this subject is the fact that, the only competition that we have is vying for the fans. Yeah. You want everyone to love your music. They're not all going to, so get over that. Yeah. And don't hate on somebody who people like. That's the thing is you'll hear musicians like you'll see a band and be like, okay, they're okay. But you see this huge crowd freaking the fuck out for this band. You're like, they fucking suck. Like, why do they have this crowd? Yeah. And it's like. They must you know, not. and that's fine. You'd be like, how how do all these people love this shit? Yeah. You know, it's like, man, they're having a good time, you know, and there's some bands out there that I respect, but I don't listen to. And that's not my thing. Yeah. I don't I I've, I grew up enough to not when when my opinion comes out and people are like, what do you think of this band? And I'll, I'll tell them exactly what's up. I'll be like, I think they're really tight. I think they sound good. They, they're really killing that genre, but it's not my thing. It's not for me. So I'm not going to say that someone sucks because I don't like their music because they don't suck. It's just not for me. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. you know. And I think that's the appreciation that everyone should have for everybody. It's like respect that people take time. 
who cares what the crowd wants? Like there, most people can't even work the goddamn radio. Mm -hmm. So you know, you're you're already talking to the 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 mass percentage of people who don't know shit about really music. They Mm -hmm. just know it has a good beat. They know, you know, half of those people when you go to a big show, they're there because that's where their friends are going. Right. And their friends are telling you this is cool. So you're like, okay, this is cool. Mm -hmm. And that's how shitty bands, quote unquote, get huge crowds. You know, because it's a it's a thing, it's an event, it's a happening. Yeah, and that's Richmond. You know, that's yeah. what's going on. But I have respect for all those cats. You know, you've the, managed to be a part of that and be in those bands. You know, that maybe somebody else would stand outside and go, I, I don't. You know, not like those guys can all play and whatever, but like that's not my thing. I don't understand why they're successful and I'm not. Because I mean, it's and this is not to take anything away from anything. You know, but you've always been in a mainstream you know, kind of a thing, right? Like, I don't think you... I Well, I don't know that I would say... I mean, I, that's the thing. It's like, is it mainstream because people like it? Yeah. Well, that's that's just... It's not, that's not fair. I mean, is that what mainstream means That's what to mainstream you? means. Is okay. That it's not a diss. It's just to say that it's got a broad appeal, you know? Right. And, and like... But you're talking... I mean, this is... I've the thing is, is that all of these motherfucking to... people go for the esoteric, and then they're mad that it doesn't have broad appeal, and like, well, you know what to do if you want broad appeal, but you want everybody to come to you where you've carved out this fucking little niche over here doing something esoteric. Right. And the thing is, you just got to do that because you love it and not be... not And... And this is the thing I wanted to say is I've come to this appreciation that just because somebody gets something, success or love or whatever, that's not taking mine. No, you yeah. Know? There's like yeah. there's enough for everybody if you just fucking do your thing and like have a positive attitude about what you're doing. You know, you'll have your I don't I don't know how many people listen to this. I can see a hundred people check it out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they listen to the whole thing or right. whatever, but I know that like five people tell me on a regular basis that they really like it. Right. And that's fucking all that matters. Right. Is that I pulled this out of my ass yeah. and like five people like it. Yeah. You know? And but that gets lost on people because they, they they want something for their ego that like they then go the most like backwards around the way way of getting this. They want people to like them, but then they dare them to like them. Mm-hmm. And they go as far away from what people like to get people to like them and then get bitter <laughs> about the people that like, like the, the, the stuff. The that's... band, the band that's like plays music, they, they try to be a band that no one will like and mm-hmm. everyone loves them. Yeah, you know? yeah. it's, it's a... It's a lot of childish bullshit to me it's, at the end of the it's day. Crazy, it's crazy, like, yeah. I think, yeah. you know, if you need not in and, and no and in no way be conceited really about it or, or too boasting uh, about it, but like you need to be your biggest fan. Mm-hmm. You need to love the music that you're playing. You need to love the people that you're playing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to, you know, you need to express with those people, you know, and, and, and show it on stage. You know, it's like no one's going to love you unless you love you. Right. You know what I mean? It's and like that goes for everything. Like. Give yourself a big <laughs> hug, man. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it, I, that's what I think. It's sort of, you, you know, you get out what you put into it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get more than you put in. But, you know, that those are bands that are going to fade away. You know, if you don't give a shit. You, you're not going to last. You might mm-hmm. have a blast while you're sort of giving a shit at the time, but once you once that wears out, it's going to wear out. Yeah. It's a very thin veil. 
It is, but you know, like you said, it. If you don't love yourself, nobody's gonna love you. And there's an awful, there's a, you know, multiple subsets of of music that have come from self-loathing, mm-hmm. and it's like attracting a group of self-loathing people. And and for whatever reason that you are, you have this self-loathing, you feel like a victim or whatever. You then feel like the guys that play the stuff that people enjoy and are having fun, and they're having fun, the audience is having fun. Somehow that is not as relevant, or it doesn't have the same level of integrity, or it's not as important because it's not it's not fueled by misery and self-loathing and and like hating on shit right you know and i've been one of those guys like i it only once the red hot chili peppers made blood sugar sex magic you know they were over for me and you know really? and i can't yeah I, exactly yeah Dude, that record's the shit well that record was the end of the line for me like i didn't like one after that oh is what oh, i'm saying yeah oh no dig. okay yeah, that was so, that I'm, was where i'm it, kind of on that i you know i i will say that uh when uh, they did the um was it Cala Communa? Californication. Californication. No, no, no. The one after it was like a double album. They put out like a, oh yeah. After that it was like some double record, and the, it was like the, all the original band, like the guitar right. player, come back because I know he played. Well, not guitar. original, original because the original guy died. Dead, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But anyway, John for Shawnee. Yeah, he came, came back. back and they did that double album, and then there were some tracks on there that were fucking awesome. But as far as like an album beginning to end, I'd say I'm with you on the Blood Sugar Sugar Sex Magic. The, and the thing is, like, I'm just I got indoctrinated again. And I still know why I feel this way, but it's not as important to me now. Like, I, I mean, I can really, I can go see all kinds of shit and I like it at all. And I'm, and it really does make me happy to have a broader palette. Like I'm cutting down, if I decide that I'm only going to like this little margin, then I'm like, you know, I'm making myself like one of those animals that can only eat one thing. And if that thing runs out, they're dead, you know, it's like too specialized, but I like, I don't want to down the thing of like saying when the Red Hot Chili Peppers were insane young guys from L.A. that came up with this just out of control funk metal punk thing like that was really exciting. Those guys were playing without a net. They were, you know, they were this, you know, this force and they were death defying and and like they, they channeled this thing that is very rock and roll. This the side of it that's chaos and, you know, Bacchus, you know, you're just nuts, you know, and then there's the other side of it that's you know, the disciplined, perfected thing. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not interested in the Red Hot Chili Peppers when they become the disciplined, perfected thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, that doesn't mean that they're bad. It you just mean, means you, that you, it, you don't like, I don't the, you don't like the sober Chili Peppers. play like that. You, you don't know? like the sober Chili Peppers. Well, no, I'm not going to diss that because I'm so... Well, that's what happened. You know? I mean... No, they got too reliant on the money they were making and they uh, were just wanted to repeat that formula so they could keep the money coming in. I would say that's more of it is geez. like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and rapping is, a, is a very fine line of what you can tolerate and what people can get away with, with that shit, yeah. you know, cause you don't want to hear me do that. You know, mm-hmm. like there's, there's a certain person you want to hear do that and whatever. White, and white just got whiter. Yeah. I mean, and they're, I guess their white rappers are acceptable. I mean, I always like the Beastie Boys and. Oh you know, yeah, but, I don't. You know, I mean, there's there's a there's a ton of them out there. Really, I mean, they they haven't gone as big. You know, very few have. But, but like, I don't. Go to, I mean, the the thing is, is that like, I'm not gonna say like, I don't want to boil it down to whether or not people can play because I love hearing like Ultra Bait. Technically, <laughs> Tammy was not a good bass player. No, none of them are good. The, ex- Peter ex- was pretty decent. Dean was decent. Those guys are good musicians, yeah. but they're not why I went to see that band. I went to see that band because it was badass to see those three girls doing what yeah, they did up there. Yeah, that's why we go see like Nashville you know? Pussy, you know? It's like right. Corey playing the bass. And that super is hot. as much a part of rock and roll as oh, being hell good yeah. at what you do. You know, and I'm, 
I mean, I did get into that thinking of like, it's not as important that you practice. It's more important that you rehearse. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. And that you've got your act down and you're like part of a band. Well, that's you were talking yeah. about that band. Uh, I can't remember the name you said, but they would throw glasses. You know, right. like that was fingers. their show. Half the time they had to get their gear out of hock in order to play a show because right. they were all crackheads and fucking alcoholics right. and. But Whatever. that's their show, yeah. and that's you either dig it or you don't, and that's cool. And I did like some of their songs, you know. Mm -hmm. And they had songs. I mean, they 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 had some memorable shit that I can't remember now, yeah. but but like, you know, I there's just room for it. I like everything now, and I can't get with my friends that hate on anything. Though I used to be this total hater. I would go, oh man, fuck that Dave Matthews shit down at the flood zone. That's for fucking yuppies and pussies and lamos and whatever and th whatever that gave me some kind of an identity to have that you know right whatever but i i just that's not at all interesting to me anymore and i you know i like i like why wouldn't you want to just i mean that's you that's putting up walls essentially you know you're boxing yourself in yeah it's like you if if you don't like it then then just make it not part of your existence yeah go to what you do like yeah I you mean, know. what's the point? I mean, like, what, like you're wasting fucking time hating on some shit. The mm -hmm. time you're spending hating on something, you're missing out on something you're going to love. Yeah. So shut the hell up and go find it. That's my propaganda of this podcast. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> right. Like, I, I keep coming back to it. Like, I've spent a lot of time, and I know a lot of other people have spent a lot of time complaining about things that they think suck. And you've got all this freedom to make something else, mm -hmm. you know, and, and to build something else like why like why waste it just downing shit that somebody else is taking the time to do well it's like anything you know like, like growing up and having two brothers i learned what not to do as mm -hmm. much as i learned what to do right you know like let other people make your mistakes i mean the idea of hating on somebody because they're successful is just childish and yeah. stupid you don't have to even if you don't like their music like david matthews band is what millionaires you know 100 times over whatever uh some of their talent is you know to do for the college scene mm -hmm. that is what that is and what people don't realize is when you graduate college and you grow up that's fine but all those other motherfuckers are still in college like there's people who are constantly going to be at that time in their life yeah. and that shit is going to be cool it's like you, you you can grow up, but don't act like you know like all that shit is over. Like that was you at mm -hmm. some point. You it's, loved right, some shitty band during college. Something. Like you know, right. you're still the same guy on some level. Yeah. Like don't get me wrong, I have to play, and some of the best paying play, paying gigs are playing at frats, mm -hmm. and I fucking hate frats, and I don't like frat kids. They kick beers and throw beers, and they drink shit beers, <laughs> and I get that they're having the time of their life, so it's cool. I'm there for work. I'm making money. I'm getting paid. Their daddy's nice checkbook is paying me very handsomely. So have a good time. You know, I'm I'm cool with all that until like they start threatening my equipment. Like if a beer, like I have a clause in all my contracts that says if like any of your beers crosses the threshold of the stage, I can pack my shit, leave, and be paid in full at any point in time right. in the show. Right. So when there's that one asshole who's doing something, I'm like, yo, man, and I've stopped the show. I've been like. You do that shit again, we're going to pack the fuck up and go home, and it's going to be all your fault, mm -hmm. and all these people are going to be pissed at you. So have a good time, but don't fuck with my shit. Yeah. And that, you know, I mean, that's the thing. That's as far as I take it. You know, like, to hate on something like that is dumb. It's like, these kids are going to pound 12 beers and try to hook up with some chick, and that's college. And look, here's the reality, too, is that I think about Richmond, is that those 
are the people with the resources and without like necessarily selling out so to speak why not educate them on some other things that they might like to spend their money on you know like come out and check out this shit like that's going on instead of being like no we don't want you frat guys around no i I would be like you know i don't well I would want them, but I wouldn't want them to come and act like jackasses right. and start a fight or something. Right, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, I definitely. Behavior. You're in college, right? You're a frat guy. Let's get you more educated. This course mm-hmm. is it only costs you five bucks, but if you right. pay attention, you're actually going to learn something. Yeah, yeah. You know, and if you're smart enough, you'll talk to somebody in the band afterwards and find out what records they're listening to. Mm-hmm. And those guys are cool guys, man. I mean, like, I mean, that's the thing. Again, I was yeah. going back to the Carrie Street you- Cafe. Is that I got to interact with some people that I had decided in my poser ass world weary cynical you know come back from new york in 1998 get kicked out of new york whatever you want to say i came back here thinking i was you know i'm too cool for this or that and like carrie street cafe actually became one of the most comfortable places that i could go in this town you know i I, it was like a punk rock hippie bar in 98 it was everything (laughs) you know there's no sense throwing the genres on it it's like it is a microcosm of richmond it's a fucking neighborhood bar like everybody from Gino and his hammer down shit to you know, holy <laughs> shit, I forgot about that. <laughs> wow, you know, and, you know, and, you're very, you're very self-deprecating on the mic. You know, the people that listen to the show should know how nice of a guy you really are. He uh, talks about his dark days so much, you know, but he's actually a really cool cat. Well, thanks, man. You had to come yeah. out of the darkness to, you know, you know, you, you're, a, you're just like a such a positive guy that whatever, whoever you're around, it just kind of makes them positive makes them behave I, themselves you know i've had my moments of <laughs> of not that and i realized that i've fell into those moments because i wasn't you know mm-hmm. i don't take it for granted i don't you know like you my the philosophy is that you 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 get out what you put in you yeah know? if you if you give off negative and bullshit you're gonna get negative bullshit yeah you know but if you're supportive and positive and loving then Usually that returns. Like obviously you're not, you know, let's say 98% of the time. It's not a foolproof system Mm because there's a bunch of fools out there. So, (laughs) (laughs) You were saying before uh, that I I marvel at the fact that like I graduated from high school in 1988 and, you know, 84 to 88, there were the guys from the West End from the prep schools. I went to a prep school for high school. Where'd you go? Marymount, which doesn't exist anymore, you know, mm-hmm. they're on, um, but, you know, interacted with the collegiate kids and the St. Christopher's kids and the Benedictine kids. And I would go see, like, the things that I went to do in high school because everybody was going to be there was like AAE at uh, the Dogwood Dell. You know, did you ever see them? There's a reggae band, Awareness Art Ensemble. I remember it. I never went and saw them, though. But I, you know, those folks, they just all went out in their tie-dyes and, and, and cut off duck heads and, and they, you know, smuggled beer in there. And, they, you know, we all met up at Dogwood Dell. And I got the, oh, yeah. I got the opportunity to go from living in Churchill and being a city kid and, and Richmond Public Schools to go and checking that out. And uh, there's this, you know, there's this type of guy. He's got the moppy kind of hair. And he's got the tie-dye. And he might have the little the rubber things on his sunglasses, you know, the croquis or whatever the oh, shit. Well, yeah. You know, he's got flip flops on and cut off. And that guy, he stays the same. Like different people grow into that role. It's been I've seen thirty years 
of it, I guess, right? Mm. Of just those guys being replaced over and over that's again. That's like the frat scene. And who the is, whole, same college. Right, and you call it college, but it's something else. I don't know what it is. It, and it's expanded it's, a little. Like it's, they the, take it, it, it's, the, <laughs> it's the very end of adolescence, I think. But it's just like... I don't know why they're the it's the the image is of the hippie like the person who was completely blowing off culture in the six, late 60s and dropping out and doing nothing but drugs and were anti-establishment you know they're just like we're not participating in this anymore whatever and the people who the majority of the people who wear those clothes and do that thing mm-hmm. are from the wealthiest families and they never at any time really do that thing i mean there's a small percentage of them that end up like kind of you know bumming around for a while and then they Mm -hmm. i don't know they tighten up at some point but it's like for for some reason there's this like this current running through what you call college and prep school of like at some point you love the grateful dead and by extension fish and uh you also like bluegrass and you like reggae and there's this five like kind of bands right. that you're into oyster head because you know of trey and you like a rolling stone song because fish covers it and yeah i mean you know it's funny i never never i my path wasn't that i i i but you played for those people like those people are like you know right so you're around them you know who i'm talking about yeah oh yeah for sure for yeah yeah, yeah. i mean that's but those you know even though they're they're, there's they may be the hippie extremists that tour to see fish or the dead or whatever that's that one thing but at least those people are accepting of of different types of music so they're gonna they already love music it's part of their life it's part of their dna they're gonna be more receptive to anything that you do you know but for me that wasn't you know it i think upbringing has everything to do with your musical taste like Mm -hmm. if your parents listen to music it's like what do they listen to what did you grow up listening to so you know i grew up listening to like like when i was young before i even played was like oldies soul music you know Mm -hmm. like the supremes and Mm -hmm. you know the motown yeah that that on my mom Mm -hmm. my mom would listen to some my dad was listening to like the you know the great you know like old school like credence and gordon lightfoot and crosby stills and nash and young and you know that whole thing but you know none of that stuff was like what made me want to play the drums the first right. time that i you know my brother jeremy got me um led zeppelin's song remains the same it was like a double cassette i was like eight or seven maybe even younger and that was the like john bonham is the reason i wanted to start playing drums and so then i grew up like listening to all these records like everything from the eagles to you know um steppenwolf and just you know all this stuff and so my palette came from that you know, mm-hmm. the fish wasn't around. I mean, right. the Grateful Dead was, but like that wasn't like on my radar. I didn't get it. I, you know, I still don't really like the Dead very much. There's a few records that I really do like, but other than that, like I like I ne- it, but not anymore. I never really like, listened to the bootlegs yeah. or anything like that. I totally respect. It. I totally get it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I did like Fish. I've seen a bunch of their shows. I, I don't really see them much anymore. I went and saw the Hampton shows when they were here recently, and I, after that, they were like, "What'd you think?" And I was like, "They're great. Yeah, I don't need to see them for another ten years." Because that's how long it was before mm-hmm. I saw him again. So, you know, I enjoy that part of it, but like that music, it's good in little doses. But that's not what that's not what does it for me. Yeah, you know, that doesn't get me off, so to speak. But you made a good point. It, like, and I was saying this to my a friend of mine recently is like those characters who they are nowhere like they need to be introduced by somebody who they trust. Like, I don't know how I think. Fish covered a Ween song. Now they like Ween. Yeah, the races you know? are free. Yeah. yeah, and but once they get on to that, 
they're on to that and they like they like they like ween now and they'll check all of that shit out you know and they're really dudes that like really like you said really love music these guys and girls that we I, we call hippies and we give them such a bad rap but they really support music they like to go see music they're mm. seriously into it and they will if somebody introduces them to something they're into it like and um that's really a great thing you know yeah. i'd, I'd kind of rather be around those kind of characters well people nowadays, like that you know? are going to call them fucking hippies until they start paying the cover to come to your show yeah the second yeah. they start buying your ticket you're going to love them yeah yeah so shut the hell yeah, up and just yeah. let people enjoy music yeah you know i mean that's it's like okay they don't like metal so you're going to call them fucking hippies and i get it you know like they're going to this there's this counterculture it fucking it's a class thing in richmond too you know and and for whatever reason many people come up and you you spent your formative years in st louis so maybe this didn't affect you but if you're not one of the people that belong in that west end prep school thing or even the upper class public school thing in like henrico mm-hmm. or whatever you grow up with this feeling of like they're against me somehow. Yeah. Like, and I did get bullied by like cadets and shit, which I, you know, talk about in the um, Ricky thing. I ex- actually did experience some bullshit at the hands of, you know, those dudes. But overall, there's really this harmless kind of culture thing. But there's this built-in thing that they're the haves and and we're the have-nots. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever having, if we're talking about money or whatever. But this this adversarial relationship exists um, that's really smoke and mirrors. There really isn't any, um, those, they're all just people, you know, know, that's a fucking obvious thing to say. Yeah. For me, when I was in school, you know, you got respect, like the people, you you know, everyone gets bullied in their own little way, depending, unless you're the bully. Um, But for me, it was like you, you know, there was the people who were in the cool crowd, but you, for me, it was like you were cool if you knew who you were. Yeah, yeah. Like, because people aren't blind. They can see if, you know, one year you're doing this and the next year you're wearing all black and you're hanging out with the weird kids or whatever. You know, you call them the weird kids because you don't go over and talk to them and they're dressed funny. Mm-hmm. I was very middle. Like, I was friends with everybody, all mm-hmm. the classes. Um, you know, I didn't play music in school. Like, I didn't play in the jazz band or the marching band, but I played in bands. And if people knew me as a drummer, um, and I, you know, the, the, the funny story is the first time that I actually tried out for jazz band, I was like a freshman and there was like, you know, these are the three tunes we're going to do. And I didn't, I couldn't read music. I wanted to join jazz band to learn how to read music, mm-hmm. but I knew how to play and I could, I wouldn't say I could swing then, but I was swinging more than most, you mm-hmm. know? So I went and auditioned and did thing. There was this other cat, his name was Grover Stewart. He was super badass drummer. But at the time I outplayed him on the audition i was there he played first i played after him and i knew the tune i didn't i mean the music we had sitting there but i was crushing the tune mm-hmm. i definitely played it better than him and, and the teacher was like you know uh we're going with grover and i was like okay i was like i thought i did really well he's like you did great he's like but you can't read music and i was like dude that's why i want to be in your class to learn how to read music he's like i'm sorry and that's so that's how it went the next year and by that time my freshman year i joined my brother jeremy's band peach crate in uh in st louis and i was you know 15 or 16 or whatever uh and i was playing and like getting paid for gigs like every like we played like every wednesday night or something so my mom would write me a late note to school every thursday i would come in like you know second period or whatever because it was like an open period didn't matter but um i you know i doing that gig i came back and the next year the jazz teacher was like hey you know if you want to be in the band you don't even have audition you're in it and i go how much does the gig pay 
And that was that. I never played in school band. I was like, "You're a dick. You're you're you you ruined this ideal for me." Because I wanted to learn, you know, because I couldn't read music, and I still can to this day. It's something I regret, but yeah, yeah, and I have it like everybody learns to talk before they learn how to read, right? So I think it's kind of should be the same way with music, you know. And maybe you don't. If ever... it's there for you, you know, I I. I don't know. I agree and disagree. I think that music is, you know, it, it needs to be more implemented in the educational system. Mm-hmm. I think learning, whether it's piano or violin or clarinet or whatever it is that you play, it helps you with all every skill that you need, mm-hmm. all your senses, you know, like except for taste, really, unless, you know. I don't, know, I don't know how that fits in. T- it does, because taste is, you know, real subjective with music. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I think that even though you may not be a musician... And this may be something that dies off once you get to college or whatever. I think people need to to try at least, at least try to be involved, incorporate yourself into music in some way. I agree. You know? And I, I, you know, I started, I like it when I was in middle school, I played cello for like, well, elementary school to middle school, I played cello. And I did learn to read a little bit of music um, in the bass clef. And I could do that. I've forgotten it all. I couldn't play a cello to save my life now. But I, you know, I got a few years of it, and then I didn't touch an instrument again until I was uh, 26 years old, because it felt so like it's just for these people, you know, it's just mm-hmm. for this guy, you know, it's just for this group of people, and there there wasn't this sort of inviting, inclusive kind of thing about playing music around where I I was, and then until I moved to New York, and then I had all of these friends that were like, we're going down to this practice space, and play music. You want to come? And yeah. I'm like, I don't play, and they're like, so what? Yeah, that you know, was the thing. I, Get on the drums, get on the guitar, try it. And then at the age of 26, I start playing drums. And I and like two years later, I play shows in a band, you know. Mm-hmm. And a few years after that, I, I, I've been playing fucking around with guitar all along. I'm 30 years old. I play my first rock band on right. stage, you know. And and it kept coming. Like I, I gravitated towards punk rock at that point because it it is this like you don't have to go to school. You don't have to learn anything. Just do it, yeah. you know. And you know years after that oh brother where art thou comes out and it's like everybody in that movie plays music or sings a song or something at one point in time and that is how it was it wasn't treated like you have you only this certain sect of people play music everybody at some point or another could sit down at the fucking piano or had something they did washed a bass or maybe they just stomped on the porch you know yeah or whatever and it's wasn't wasn't some elitist thing to just play music yeah. you know and I, and I think it's and i like that karaoke like got a lot of people into just like yeah that know. i mean that is that's like you know the dream like for the for the person who knows that uh, right i'm not put on this planet to be a musician mm-hmm. but i love it yeah so it's like you get to go and like be in your dreamland with karaoke you know mm-hmm. though i'm not you don't want to hear that I don't shit. I don't mind karaoke. I'm not going to go like seek it out, but I don't, you know, mind it. It's sometimes it's hilarious well, viewing I love pleasure. seeing all of these people who would normally be self-conscious or like not give themselves the uh, authority or whatever the hell, the permission to just you know, let loose and sing and whatever. I love seeing that happen. Yeah. Well, I mean that, you know, the shower in the car, people saying it constantly, you know, but, but it's gotta be a conversation, you know, I don't think I've ever seen karaoke be somewhere where there wasn't alcohol. (laughs) I've done it sober a lot. 
Really? I used to host it sober at Sticky Rice. Oh, like, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, that's funny. But that's the thing is that most of the time people drink to get over their fear of dancing, of like singing, of playing, of doing anything. For whatever reason, they're self-conscious. Couple drinks, no longer self-conscious. You know, and that's the thing I think that that really needs to be put in our education system is this idea of not being so fucking chicken shit of what everybody's going to think of you when you do something that's just enjoyable to do. Yeah. You don't have to look good doing it. You don't have to be the best. Just fucking do it. Yeah. And we need that feeling put into our students at a young age. Get over yourself. You know, like just cut loose. Have fun. Like let it happen. Open up your mouth. Make some noise. Yeah. You're just as entitled to do it as anybody. You know, and I mean, that's what, that's why I'm doing this goddamn thing right yeah, here. Exactly. You know, it's like, I just want, I, I, I don't know. You got questions always, and you want answers. And I want to connect with people that I took for granted for a long time. Right. You know, cause yeah. I was so, you know, I was so dug into that thinking of like, who's against me, who's competing with me, who's not on my team who's not my peeps you know or whatever the fuck all made up by me it's all my insanity that decided on this and i got to leave this context completely and get a different attitude about humans in general over a four-year period and come back and be like hey i want to talk to this person i want to talk to that person i want to know what makes them tick i want to know you know i just want to fucking shine the spotlight on them for a minute right you know and just yeah. recognize them and literally saying you know namaste you know i recognize you you're just as good as me when we're both this sounds cheesy but we're both fucking miracles of biology the fact that we're sitting here mm -hmm. you know i mean just the fact that you're sucking wind is unbelievable right no shit <laughs> you know still anyway yeah. um yeah you know i think it, it, other than electricity and and light well i guess that comes in there but like clean running water electricity and music are like the greatest discoveries that we've ever made mm -hmm. you know people think music for granted but it's everywhere yeah. it's 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 in everything it's a language in and of itself you know it's music is the one language that everyone can speak worldwide that's right the one thing mm -hmm. you know Everybody you can be can... tone deaf you can still speak the same language mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know you can talk to one another through it and it's and it's it's a great misconception. It's fucking about it. primitive as hell. It's been with us. It sure beats religion. You know what I mean? It, and it's really part of spirituality. It you is. Know? But like, I mean, like you, they took it too far. That's right. Well, you know, religion, spirituality, and handcuffs, or as they say. Right. Yeah. 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 Circles. No, that's a, that's a good way to put it. And but people reach. You know, you get at some kind of group ecstasy. You know, mm -hmm. and playing together. You know, you know that feeling of being locked in with two, three, four, five other people and some magic starts happening, you know, that's, that really should be available to everybody. You well, know? you know, that, and, and, you know, it is, people yeah. should look at the, at the, even the, the smaller moments of when you become, um, with you, you as a group become people at the same time. Like for instance, like a concert, let's say, you know, you're at a concert, one of your favorite bands and there's 10,000 people there. And if you met every single person at that concert, you probably would like 2% of that, mm -hmm. all those people. But when the band comes on and they're rocking that tune at that time, you all have something in common yeah, and you're yeah. all digging on something and the mm -hmm. energy is obviously there. And obviously that's, for musicians, the greatest reward is the energy you feel as all these people are 
all digging the same thing for the same reason at the same time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and unless you're on the one of the greatest trips of your life, you know, you literally drug use. But other than that, I mean, if you're aware of what's happening and everyone else around you's doing that, you like you have to look at that as okay, this is the common denominator mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that's it's it's world it's everywhere you know yeah and that's just that's some kind of a glimpse of like how it could be on a more regular basis like it, every, well you, you know but i mean it never will be like that because people are closed off or they that's what i'd say it all has to do with upbringing if you're you know if you're raised to be a closed off person or you know or that kind of if music i don't think if it's implemented in any sort of way as a young child like you, you it's going to be harder and harder for you to discover it later mm-hmm you know, and for it to to play the important role that it could on yeah. your life if you let it. You should definitely be in schools, but barring that, man, like somebody needs to start some little thing around here where all of these musicians just teach the kids that are running around here. Like there you know, is actually um, one of my close friends, Daniel Clark, and um, he's involved with this thing, this live art program, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's through the Spark people and um i think some of the kids like even in the group like the i think every thursday does this like ukulele class oh and some of the i think the kids are like special needs and Mm -hmm. you know all that kind of a thing and all these great musicians are involved like i know um the performance is going to be in like december it's called live art but i know like um uh Jason Mraz is involved. Steve Bassett is involved. I know that Daniel, who plays with Katie Lang now, he's he's her piano player. She's involved. She's coming down for the show. Oh wow! Um, so they definitely have some like names involved with it, and it's and it's all to benefit kids and stuff like that. So I think that the idea of music needing to be more involved in the education system isn't lost on people. I just don't think that they're. Again, u- that is a thing that you can do. You don't need the public schools for it. Yeah, but everyone sees it as like the the educational system doesn't, you know, they they don't, I don't think they're managing the budget wisely enough for that to play as big of a role as it could. So why can't it just be provided by somebody like you? Why can't you just say... They don't, I mean, Daniel's not getting paid to do that. Well, I don't yeah, think so. You don't need to get paid. You just get paid in knowing that you're doing something. Awesome yeah, usually once like, a year I go. Like last year, I went to the Hanover High School and for a day, and um, during the you know their jazz band class, I like sat with the drummers and we went over some stuff and my buddy um jay calabro who plays bass in three sheets to the wind he was there the same day and he was working with the upright players and so we you know they would teach class and i think there was two bass players and two drummers like because they you know someone gets sick or they let that many kids play or whatever so i would work with one and the other drummer stayed and did rehearsal and then they would switch same with jay and then we would we would talk with them about whatever their issues were and then we'd go back in and like let them play and we would, you know, sit there and go like, okay, yeah, this is what we talked about, blah, blah, blah. And then we, I would do a tune with Jay and we would play with the, with the band and we're like, here we go. Mm-hmm. This is more or less what it should sound like. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, take it, you know, watch however you can absorb it, absorb it. But I try to do that like once a year. I'll go to a school and it's just like a, a day that I have. It's not, I, I can't be there all the time, but I try to at least once a year go and do, do yeah. that thing. Sometimes sing Christopher's or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I think so. I mean, yeah, one of the, one of the dreams I had and, uh, at one point was to like rent this building down here and put the hourly practice spaces in it that I got started in where you, there's already equipment in there. 
you pay 30 bucks for an hour and you know you can just go in there and play and then leave you know you do have to bring a guitar right. or There's whatever amps and drums and right yeah. but majority of the shit you need pa whatever that in new york there are tons of those places and i, I used them all at the time and that's how i got my start because you know what buy you didn't need to buy a 500 thousand dollar drum kit to start playing drums why not you know but to create a space like that and also to be have music classes in it and get all these various people yep. around there. Kids, you know, that would be going to the community center to play basketball or uh, whatever, they could come over here and learn, you know, once a week, twice a week. There are classes, whatever you want to learn. You want to learn producing. You want to learn uh, mixing. You know, you want to learn Pro Tools. You want to learn just how to play the drums like old school. You want to learn a horn, whatever. There are different people who come through and volunteer their time you know, while this stuff isn't going on, I'm, I need to, I need to get on that. But yeah. I mean, really just, you, you, you need one rich investor. You need somebody who believes in the same vision. who has yeah. got some money and fund it. You know, you don't, don't rely on the city to do it. Yeah. Well, that's not, yeah. So, uh, we have come to the point where I really got to take a serious piss. I drank so much yeah, water all good. over here. So thanks for coming by, man. I yeah, really man, enjoyed for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Talk to you later. Yeah. Yep. Dusty. Dusty Ray Simmons. Nice talk about music. I need to really, I need to get on that thing. I can get people, I can get something together. That shit I was talking about, getting that little practice space slash education space, whatever. I've been talking about that for years. I don't really need to make that happen. Anybody else want to make me, help me make that happen? Get at me. Lots of ways to do that. You may be subscribing to this on iTunes, but you know if you go to my page, there's all kinds of ways to get in touch with me. And there's this also this place where you can give me some money, which would be super cool because I need it. As I have mentioned in the last three podcasts, whoa, that's loud. Um, as I've mentioned in the last three podcasts, I'm moving and I've moved into a new house and I've kind of tapped some resources there and I also need some stuff so look if you don't you don't have to give me money but great if you did if you went to the donate spot on a tantric conversation and gave me some money but I need some chairs I got a table big old table no chairs and I don't need those chairs to match in fact I'm kind of thinking I'm gonna steal this idea from this girl I knew in Minnesota and have my dining room table all different chairs she was crazy and came up with stuff like that and it was a great expression of her craziness and uh, things like that I could I, I need a couch but I don't want some couch that dogs have been sleeping on and shit you can keep that um, I don't know like lots of other things it's a big house it's a, you know that I'm moving into and I've I've been a nomadic for the last few years and gotten rid of all of my large furniture except for a few things uh, I can do this whole move in a in one truck, one little truck. That's where I'm at now, and I like that. I like traveling light, but uh, I want to I wanna fill this house up, and, and pretty soon. So the next Tantric Conversations we record will be coming out of Union Hill, area of Churchill, which is where the new, the new studio is going to be, per se. And we look forward. I look forward to having lots of new people, more, way more people, because it'll be a lot easier, and people get there than this joint up here in Henrico and uh hey hey gobble 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 hey gobble gobble hey hmm, has anybody done that yet gobble gobble hey gobble gobble hey yeah